Welcome to episode number 39 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm Justin Gordon, your host, and in this episode, we have Justin Resvani, who is a first-generation American entrepreneur, investor, Forbes 30 under 30, and the founder of The Amplify a data-driven advertising technology platform that produces influencer advertising campaigns for premium brands across social platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, and Periscope. He actually sold the company 2016, ran it for a bit, and now he has been focusing on health, and we discuss health and fitness and optimizing your health a lot in this episode, something that's actually very important for entrepreneurs who tend to completely disregard their health as they are building businesses. Not advised. Justin is very knowledgeable as coaches in many domains, and we talk about all of his expertise in this episode. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And if you head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe and leave a rating and review. Please do. Please, please do. Without further ado, here is Justin Resvani, founder of The Amplify. Justin, welcome to the show, man. What's up, buddy? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on. And obviously, you've done a lot of things with business and entrepreneurship. I'm curious about the start. I heard it started like very young for you in terms of like this entrepreneurship idea. But when was the start for you? Like. So I think if we want to go way back, the start was actually when I was a teenager. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family in the sense of my dad worked for himself. He had his own metal manufacturing business in Compton. So I was kind of very immersed in understanding that like a regular eight to five wasn't, it just wasn't programmed. We, like I didn't know that that existed yeah. growing up for a long time. When I was a child, I would help my dad input things into QuickBooks and like, like really be like kind of a forward kind of his assistant in some way. So my first business was to actually paint curb numbers in my neighborhood. (laughs) So what I would do is I'd go around and I put these letters in their mailboxes, which is probably illegal. And it would say that in case of emergency, do people know which house is your house? Like, are your numbers clearly visible? And I like lived in kind of an older neighborhood. So most of the numbers on the curbs didn't, you couldn't see them. them So I did that for a little bit, you know, made a couple hundred bucks my first like summer doing that. And I think I was 13 at the time. And then probably the last company that I was running and I started was a company called The Amplify. Uh, We were an influencer marketing business. I founded that company in 2013. And uh, we helped brands and people that had a lot of followers on social media create these large scale social media campaigns. Yeah. And that company, I mean, like, how did you even start that? Where does that idea come from for you? Like, how did that get started in the first place? I think a lot of the thinking was around frustration. I'm a big believer that innovation is derived from frustration. Yeah. And I was working at a mobile banner company, uh, hucking small banner ads. And I was lucky enough to have friends growing up in Los Angeles that became like actors and actresses in movies. And right around the time that Instagram got bought by Facebook for a yeah, billion dollars, I was talking to them and saying, hey, you know, are you working with brands? And they said, yes, we are, but it's a real cumbersome process. It's a pain in the ass. So I thought to myself, I was like, is there a mobile app that can make this process better? And right. when I was, I was 24 at the time, it was 2013, there was no mobile app for connecting these influential content creators with brands. Yeah. So like any 24-year-old, I said, <laughs> um, let me build an app. 
So I started, you know, on the on the nights and the weekends, just coding my own application, and I built the. Really? I'd like to say the world's first mobile application that integrated influencers and brands, which was called Reach, which was owned by the Amplify. See, that's something where the solving your own problem seems to be the easiest way to find an idea that actually is viable because at least you have an audience of one for that because you know like you need it. But people get stuck at that idea phase. So even when you had the idea, you said you started to code it yourself. Did you had learned code before then or you just learned code? No, at- it, it was a lot of just taking time of saying, how do you write your own application? How do yeah. you create your own application? And you know, I found some help in India with some backend development. I designed the front end. And we just put together the platform and, you know, a, a cool like three to six months and built this wow. like MVP and basically went out to the world and said, hey, we have this application. And, you know, because we were the first doing it through a very systematic technology driven way, we got a lot of great attention. The way I like to say it is like we were one of the first companies that allowed brands to actually buy media on Instagram at scale before advertising was available on Instagram. Yeah. It was a very much like a good time, right place, right time. Yeah. I mean, you um, had that first mover advantage, it sounds like. hundred percent. Which is I, like, I couldn't, thing. you couldn't rebuild the same business now. That's for sure. Right. Cause you had the advantage there. But, and with that, so you, you mentioned growing it and, you know, getting in the hands of people, but what was that initial growth like? what did you do to get the word out about the app in the first place? I mean, the goal wasn't necessarily to get the application because the application was a function of the actual business. It yeah. was like a tool. The business was to get to brands and say, hey, we have the opportunity to work with these influencers. So my first call was to Fox. My second call was to Lionsgate. We were lucky (laughs) enough that those two clients within the first six weeks gave me over $100,000 in a marketing budget. And the company was profitable after six weeks. So, and cash flow positive. So it was a very like really (laughs) serendipitous kind of thing where, you know, we never raised any capital for the business. We never took any outside investment. It was all held very close. Uh, to the chest. And we always strive for profitability and growth. So growth didn't come at the expense of profitability and profitability never came at the expense of growth. Like it was all kind of married up together. It was exciting because we built the business in a way that we could continue to grow and grow and grow and create what we did. Do you remember like what the pitch was like to these studios? Like, Absolutely. I mean, it was that, you know, we have a system to help you acquire these media impressions yeah. based upon influencers that are reaching the most impactful audience in this category. Yeah. And at scale. So the key was at scale. It wasn't that we'll get you one person or two person is that our technology allows you to work with 20, 30, 40 to yeah. all post at the same time to make this entire streamlined system. Right. And then, so who was the initial team? You mentioned like a team in India with the back end, you're doing some of the front end development. Like who was that initial team for you building this? Yeah. Up? So I hired two people at the beginning. One person was uh, a friend of mine in college who actually just graduated and getting a patent law degree. Uh, his, <laughs> name is, <laughs> his name is Jeff. Um, and, you know, he's still a VP over at the company. And then I hired another person that I was also friends with in college to run the account management side of the business. What I was very careful of though early on was I kept the business still very much in control and I always overpaid my employees early on. So I didn't really let go a lot of equity. I felt that equity was very valuable considering I was self-capitalizing and I was taking all the risk. So that's kind of how I started the tool. And then after you're profitable and you're making some money, you hire some more people. Like we never hired a head of growth. Yeah ahead of where we were going. We'd always hire for exactly what we needed. And if we weren't ready, we wouldn't hire someone. So that's how, kind of how we were very strategic about it. I mean, you have, it sounds like, obviously you had this experience because your, your dad was an entrepreneur as well. Like 
you seem to know what you're doing already at that time, even though you're like a first time in a way entrepreneur with your, your own company. But like, was that from your dad? Was that from reading books? Was like, what was that? Where does that come from? I mean, I think it was very simple programming. Like, I think like, you know, if you read the book outliers, it wasn't because I was just a gifted person. Like my family grew up in balancing a budget and creating a business and understanding that you make more than you take in more than you use. Like that's just how it works. So there was no other way for me to do this. Like there was no other concept of like raising capital or going out to an outside investment. And I knew that if I was able to create a large enough margin on each of the campaigns, it would give me a buffer to extend the life of whatever I wanted to build as the company. The other aspect was that I knew that I couldn't live my life in any other way. Like right now, I left my company in February of 2018 after, you know, I'd sold it in 2016 and I still don't have the concept of like working for somebody. So all my drive <laughs> is always to reverse engineer this level of um, creating my own existence and creating my own place in this world. So the only way to do that to me was to build a profitable company. Like I still don't understand how people can raise money on businesses that don't make money. I just, it's, it's and wild. Actually, it's wild, it's, isn't it's it? Not, it's not, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just like, I don't know how to do that. I've never been, maybe I've never been taught what that looks like. And, yeah. you know, I always thought that you create a business to make money. <laughs> it seems so simple, right? But then you see all these companies now that, oh, all off a of user growth or like the idea or whatever, and they raise a bunch of money, but then, yeah, they're not profitable businesses, which again, it's like not bad necessarily, but it is kind of interesting to see that and like how the progression has gone. We're like, yeah, before it seemed like, you before maybe early venture capital days, like you had to be profitable. That's just what a business was, but it's changed over time. And with your company, so how did that growth happen from like the early stages to then like 2016 getting acquired? Like, you know, the growth was very organic in the sense of like, you know, we did a few million in revenue our first year, first few million in profit our second year, and then we sold the business. Like, we went from launching to having a letter of intent in like 23 months. <laughs> we wild. sold the business within 26. Like it was a fast process that we needed to know that we wanted a partner to come and help us to grow into the next phase of what this could be. Because I knew like there was a point that I couldn't, I needed to find a partner to help grow the business because I was kind of doing it all on my own. You know, I didn't take any outside capital and have a board of directors. Like I knew that the only way that this thing would continue to build and grow was to find a correct partner to help do that. And, you know, I think we definitely have found someone great. So what was the transition then once you sold and you stayed with the business a couple of years? So what, how did your role shift or did it shift at all? Or how did that kind of change? Yeah. I mean, after you sell, you don't own the company anymore. You have a board of directors that you report to and somebody else owns it. So it's a very different situation than making kind of all the decisions on your own and trying to run it on your own and grow it on your own. And, you know, I learned a lot from that experience. I learned a lot from managing up to managing expectations. And that part of this journey has taught me a tremendous amount about myself. And which I think is what's led to this self-reflection journey that I've been on over the last 12 months, focusing on very particular areas that I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget to focus on. I really believe that if I focused on these things a lot earlier in my career, and a lot earlier while I was running the company, I could have been 10 times more effective. Ooh, interesting. So what was the difference? So explain then when you're running the company initially, you know, the first few years to now, the kind of lessons you've learned, like what was it like back then? I heard it was like 
hundred hour work weeks the first two years. Like, I mean, it very the- much so. It was nonstop. It was from morning to night, constant stress. Um, it was an unbelievably taxing experience because there was nothing really else in my life but this company. You know, you have, you know, you have companies you have to report to, you have clients you have to answer to. There's just this tremendous amount of pressure that had been created. And I was young. I sold the business when I was 27. You know, I, I really didn't have the proper coaching to actually become the CEO that I really wanted to. And so I neglected four basic areas of my life. I neglected my eating. I was uh, 70 pounds overweight to where I am right now, wow. which is a lot. I was 230 pounds when I was running the business. Damn. I neglected sleep. I was probably sleeping, you know, four to five hours a day. Whereas now I'm investing in my sleep because it makes me a way more effective human. I was not mindful about anything that I did. I was lacking my meditation. I would often react versus act. And it just, it just came to a point where, you know, I wasn't mindful about that. Then I wasn't really taking care of myself physically in the sense of like actually being able to move properly or to be active or to exercise. I'd go up a flight of stairs and I'd be panting. I wasn't metabolically flexible to be the optimized human that I need to be. So what I've done over the past 12 months is really built myself a protocol to master these four areas of my life, which is metabolic health, which is my food, my sleep, my mindfulness, and then my activity and exercise. And I've really kind of embarked on a journey to master those four elements of my life uh, because I think it'll help me become a step function entrepreneur in the future. So you anticipate that you're going to start other companies eventually. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you're kind of some time to figure things out and really get the, the foundation now. So what does that look like now in terms of what you're doing to optimize those different areas? What I've done is I've tried to deep dive in each of those four areas and to build some sort of metric-based rubric on how I can optimize each of those areas of my life. So based upon my food, right? So, you know, I've been blessed that I have a lot of great coaches around me to optimize what is my preferred metabolic type? And I have a PhD that helped me define actually what are the types of macronutrients that I need to be optimized during the day to be the best human that I can be. What things do I have to eat? When do I eat them? How do <laughs> right. I eat them? When it comes to my sleep, I'm blessed to have a sleep person that I talk to about sleep. I wear an aura ring every single night and it basically tells me like, what time should I be going to bed? What is my optimal types of stages of sleep? What are the things that are going to help me sleep? And when should I wake up? In terms of mindfulness, you know, I have a daily meditation practice that I use every single day. And I have a spiritual coach that I work with once a week that talks me through a lot of the things that make me want to become a more mindful person in everything that I want. And again, to be focused on being active, not reactive in my decision making. And then in terms of exercises, you know, I've decided to probably implore one of the hardest sports that's physically out there, which are Ironmans. I'm a tri- Ironman triathlete. I completed my first half Ironman in June and Congrats. I have four races this yep. year, one of which will be a full Ironman. So that encompasses a lot of my time because, and you know, I've committed to one full season. It helps me really like really optimize my body to be at peak physical shape, right? Yeah. Like probably the thing that's more intense than Ironman is like adventure racing and then ultras. Yeah. That's probably the next two stages of what can be in terms of what is taxing metabolically for your, for your system and what you're doing. So I've taken these four challenges up to master them. And, you know, my hopefulness is I'm going to be able to get into a rhythm and flow that, you know, my baseline is a step function change from where I am. So I've lost 70 pounds. 
I'm way more metabolically efficient. My hematocrit level, if you look at all my blood work, it's like I'm, I'm at pristine peaks <laughs> when it comes to like looking at like what athletes potentially are. Obviously athletes are a whole nother level, but yeah. like I'm definitely working towards that model. And I believe by the end of this next, you know, few months, that would be, I'll be at the end of this little cycle. I'll be a way more optimized human than when I started this process. And then I can begin thinking about, well, what do I want to apply and create in the world? Yeah. And I want to dig into that a, a bit more, but I also want to know what were some of the first things you did when you got into this kind of journey of optimizing everything, health, body related, like mental as well. What were some of those first steps you took? Cause I know people are <laughs> entrepreneurs, especially are kind of crazy about their businesses and it's hard to transition, but like, what are some of the things you started with? I started with food, right? So I started with, well, what am I fueling this machine with? What is the things that's helping me become metabolically more efficient? And I went through probably six different diets during that time before I found my PhD. I went through paleo diet, then the ketogenic diet. I went through a phase where I was fasting consistently, which I still do quite a bit. I, I do a fasting protocol pretty much every two months at this point. But I went through all the things to understand how does my body work more efficiently metabolically. That was number one. Okay. The next thing that I tackled was sleep and mastering what are my sleep cycles. The next thing that I mastered is my mindfulness and, and really working with my spiritual coach to define who I am and what I want to be as a person and how do I want to show up in the world and, and really releasing a lot of the things that I've had in my mind for a long time. And then the final thing was exercise. To put into context, like February 1, 2018, I could barely run a mile. I was very overweight. It was like, it was a struggle to run a mile. And then in June, I did a half Ironman. So within a, within basically a um, five month period, I had, I'd, I'd figured out a way to swim a mile and a half, bike 56 miles, and then run 13.1 yeah. miles at the end. Yeah. It wasn't a pretty time. It wasn't by any <laughs> means like anything that was winning a race, but it was something that just gave me a, a baseline to start with and say, okay, we start here. And now where do we go from this level? And, yeah. and now I'm, I'm, I'm very like excited about my progress. I have, I have a full-time coach that, you know, helps me. Um, shout out to Jim as my coach, because he's a, such an incredible support system and helping me build a program to excel as an athlete. And with these coaches you have, like helping you, like, is it a like once a week call? Is it whenever you need it, you just talk to them or how does that no, kind of I, work? I talk to basically my triathlon coach every day. Oh, really? I talk to my metabolic coach every seven to 10 days because that's how my food pattern will change every seven to 10 days. Okay. I talk to my uh, spiritual coach every week and that's kind of where most of those things are at. And then in between, I'm working with my physical trainer coach. I have all these different people that help That's me. A lot. It's, a, it's a lot, but the thing is like, I'm trying to optimize to a whole nother level of course. Uh, to develop a step function change in my baseline. I had a certain baseline that I knew that I was running at, right? Yeah. A step function change is significantly different than where I was at. Yeah. So in order to do that, I have to optimize almost every level of my life. And they're all intertwined. Like if you think about mindfulness, right? Mindfulness to me is also about focusing on the present moment. When you're on a bike pushing 250 watts, going 20 miles an hour down PCH, you're not thinking about like some cookies that you left <laughs> in your thing. You, like you are so focused <laughs> yeah, on three be. things, right? You're focused on your breath, you're focused on where you're on the road, and you're focused on your wattage and your heart rate. You're focused on these very present moments. Then you're in that exact same moment, you're focused on what is my fuel adaptation that I need to do within the next 30 minutes to ensure I can keep up with this pace, right? So there's all these kind of all core elements. Did you get enough sleep to have the workout in the first place, right? 
all of these things are intertwined to optimize. And I can see like long-term, I'm building this baseline through Ironman that will help me in a professional way long-term because the, the things that you realize when you're putting your body in this level of stress is a pretty incredible kind of thing that you're learning. And, you know, this next phase, I just finished ordering all my stuff from my house. I have a sauna coming in next week and an ice bath. So these are going to be elements added to my workout regimen um, that I'll be using every day as well. Yeah. So what is your training? I'm just curious about the training side too. So, I mean, how many hours a week is that? What does it look like typically? About 15 to 20 hours right now. And that's a mix of your swimming, your biking, your running. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Any more like details on that? Like I actually, I'm curious because... Oh, I thought about doing some longer type of runs and races and everything as well, but I'm just curious on what that looks like Monday through Sunday type of thing for you. So I'll give you a schedule. So I swim Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Okay. I run Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I bike Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. Okay. What a typical bike session would look like is Tuesdays I'm on a trainer. As you can see, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a bike behind you. So today I have a workout that I'm going to do right after our specific workout. So what I have today, most of what I do is in zones of wattage. So what I'm trying to achieve is a, is a better, better steady state of achieving a certain amount of watts on a bicycle for a prolonged period of time. So I have a ramp up between 125, 145, 165, and 185 watts ramping up every five minutes. Okay. And then I crisscross for the next 45 minutes, five minute blocks from 200 watts to 189 watts back to 200 watts all the way down to the end of the 45 minutes and then I'll cool down. So in context for me, 200 watts is pretty much my threshold. It's 95% of my threshold effort, something I should be holding for a 40K. So it's a pretty hard thing that I need to hold for a pretty long time. So there's a tremendous amount of focus that, so I'll be doing those workouts as kind of inner stream and then like longer swims. Like yesterday I had a swim that was a 4,500 yard swim, which was 10, 350 yard swims at, so one, two, three, we're at 75, 85, 90, Sorry, 70, 75, 85, 90 pace. Then there was four 350s at 90% <laughs> threshold. And then another two that were slower. And then the final one was a much faster. And 350 is about 13, uh, 14 laps. Damn, that's nuts. That's awesome though. I mean, it's such a fun thing to try to optimize physical fitness and every health and everything too. Not even just like, obviously you need to, but I think it's also kind of fun to see the progress, at least what I found. But with someone with entrepreneurs and everything, you mentioned kind of the first things you had done to kind of get your health back. What would you suggest to other entrepreneurs who are, you know, maybe getting burnt out or like haven't taken care of their health? Like, what are some of the things you'd say you should probably start with these just based on your experience? I think you got to start with food. I think you got to start with the fuel source. Number one, there's not a lot of like, you can't create more time to maybe work out or like sleep more, but what you can optimize, number one is what are you putting in your body and when are you putting in your body, right? That's like, to me, number one, the next most important thing is has to be sleep. You know what I mean? Like some people, I could switch that around, right? Because like you can probably go like 10 days without eating, but you can't go like four days without sleeping. So I think sleep would probably, let me put that actually ahead of it now that I change it. I think everyone needs six to eight hours. I get someone eight to 10, if I'm lucky on certain days, if I pop a melatonin before I go to bed, (laughs) I'll get that solid 10, but I need it. Right. Like, so me is like, I'm on a physical recovery basis that I'm training. So I need a lot more than probably a normal kind of person that's kind of working. And then the next thing is find a mindfulness practice. And then finally really try to get some movement or exercise and like, don't stay at your desk. Like 
move around. Like if we could do this podcast walking, I would prefer it. That'd be, that'd be but great. We, so, you know, we have a mic and we have to kind of get a setup going. So I understand. Maybe I'll adjust one day and try to have that. It'd be great to, especially with all the interviews I'm starting to do now, it's a lot more. So I feel like I'm sitting a lot more with that and I'd love to move a bit more. But as you look back at kind of your, your those, those days with the Amplify, like, I mean, would you have changed anything? Obviously the fitness and the actual physical health part of it, but in terms of running the business and growing the business, was there anything you would have potentially changed? You know, I think about this question a lot. There's a lot of things that I think I would have done differently, but I don't regret anything. And the reason I say is I made a decision and made decisions based upon the person that I was that specific day at that specific time. And those events have allowed me to grow and gain perspective to the person that I am today and gain a ton of experience. And all of those slaps in the face, all those you know, punches, all the things that I took for a very long time, I've learned from tremendously and I've grown from tremendously. And I, and so it's a, I don't really think I I could say that I wanted to change anything. I think, you know, let's tell the story again, right? Like I started a company at 24 with nothing. It came from a, you know, I guess my dad was an entrepreneur, but he's not the kind of entrepreneur that you like he was making, you know, taking home maybe 150 grand a year, that type of entrepreneur, like not a like he's hustling (laughs) because he wanted to work for himself. And, you know, so I didn't come from like a super wealthy background. Right. So I started with literally nothing. I I had a runway of 90 days to start and launch this company. I had no other choice but to make it work. And I ended up selling that business within 28 months. And as much as I am hard on myself that I could have been a 10x more effective, what I believe I did was pretty profound. And there's not a lot of people that could have gone through that process. So I'm also reflecting on myself that like, you know, I did a decent job in that aspect. You know, I've been my, I'm my own worst critic, man. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, always telling myself that I wasn't good enough which is kind of why I built these elements in myself and built up these guards. But I think one thing that I've been able to solve for is that I am good enough. And it's something pretty like profound for me to have broken through over the last, you know, few months with all this self work. And in terms of any entrepreneur that's potentially listening to this, it's like, you know, depending on why you're doing what you're doing, you are good enough. But it's taken obviously some time to figure that out. Right. Perspective is everything. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? Of course. Like, and, and, and no one, and you can't gain it. Like one thing that I've learned also through these physical activities is that my adaptations are not done on the bicycle. My adaptations are done at nighttime when I'm sleeping. I break down everything catabolically in the workout. I, I do the training in there. But the way that I actually grow is when I recover. So I take that into very much perspective in my life right now and how I think about what I want to do in a business as I'm kind of really just, you know, I've always wanted to take control and manage everything, but I'm not in control. You know, none of like, as much as we all want to believe that we are like, we're really not. Yeah. And you're going to start another company eventually, maybe multiple companies eventually. How would you approach, you know, once you would start another company, like the work schedule, managing your time and all of that, because obviously people listening to this are either trying to launch a business or grow their business. I'm just curious on how you would approach it now, knowing what you know already and what you've been through. How would you manage that schedule and that time and everything? I don't know yet. I wish I knew the answer to that, yeah. right? Because I think that I also know that 
the reason I think that we were successful is because I put more hours in than anybody else. Like <laughs> yep. someone that's working 40 hours a week, I'm already up that by Tuesday or like not by Tuesday, but like Thursday. Yeah, yeah. And then I have three other days, you know, like to keep working. So the time that I put in paid off, right, for me in some way. So the one thing that I've kind of reflected on is like, I think life has stages. You know, it has different stages of where you're at and what you're going through. And depending on what stage you're at has to be what you're all in on. Like right now, Justin Resvani today is all in on a few things. And it's all around mastering how his physical body and mind work. He's taken up triathlon as the hardest sport to master his physical body. He works with a mindfulness coach to really understand that aspect. He works with a PHA to understand his diet and what metabolically makes him more flexible and, and can compete at this high level. And then he sleeps as much as he can to recover from his activities. But this is what he's right now doing. Yeah. I just turned 30, right? So I have a little bit of time to- <laughs> A little bit of time. A little bit of time to like, you know, take this time to reflect. And again, like my goal is like to increase my baseline for that step function change. You're obviously, you're so focused on this now. I'm kind of curious too, like with the next potential company, you're not going to know that right now, but what would you even look for or think about in terms of an idea? Would it still be kind of like solving a problem you have, do you think? I'm just trying to get perspective and you know your advice for people who are you know trying to start a business and maybe in the idea stage or trying to figure that out. I'm kind of curious, how would you approach that? I mean, what's really challenging that I think about every day is I built a very profitable business very quickly. And that's a very hard problem to solve because having an idea and putting it out there and having someone to pay you for that idea are two very different things. <laughs> so one of the challenges that I consistently think about, because I'm not, I don't know, but like, I've never been the one to like go out and release, you know, raise a ton of capital. So building a company that is very profitable early on is something that I still need to think about very heavily in what I want to do. I do believe that it'll potentially be in the health and wellness space. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of medical technology and where it goes just because like something that I believe is that if people knew, if people really knew what was happening to their systems metabolically, yeah. when they made a decision to put something in their body, they might make a change. And when I was eating like shit and just, you know, hoarding and stress eating and all this other stuff. A big part of why I think I was doing that was because I truly didn't understand what kind of dysfunction it was creating for my body. Yeah. And when I see that, I don't know, what's the number now? 78% of Americans are either obese or overweight. Man. Right? I mean, it's not like a small number of people and like that's a, a disease. Like that's a problem. Yeah. Right? I, and I, I don't mean to like, you know, say this in a way that's trying to go against like any type of movement that's happening out there yeah. of like body positivity and all that stuff. But being overweight is a metabolic issue. <laughs> yeah. It's not healthy to be overweight to that extreme. There's no doctor that will tell you otherwise. Right. So if there's a level of awareness to what these things are causing for your system, for your longevity, for you as a human, 
humans are not supposed to be like that. Yeah. Humans are supposed to be like we were, we grew up to run (laughs) and go like you panting to go upstairs doesn't work. Yeah. And I I know this is a very like, you know, this is a touchy subject, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're in this era where everything can be misconstrued. And, you know, if you say something wrong, people will get offended, but facts are facts. Yeah. Humans are not meant to be this metabolically dysfunctional in this way, to be this inflamed, to not be able to run 10 miles. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, I think, I don't know what things I've seen this on, but like we're meant to yeah, run miles to chase animals down. We had the endurance to keep going until they got tired. And that's how we would like kill animals or whatever. That's one of the things we do. So it's we're the most efficient to convert fat into fuel. Yeah, there you go. Our bodies, the fat that we have on our bodies are meant to help fuel us in times of struggle through a, through a ketogenic <laughs> process of, of processing fats into ketones and that's fuel for your body to run itself. That's what fat is for, is for famine. Yeah, not what it, it's become. It's an issue and as a per, former personal trainer, uh, exercise sports science degree, worked with clients for years, you have to explain that. So it's not healthy and I think they understand it, but then yeah, there is that movement of body positivity and everything, I, I get that, but it is a, a tough crux because of, it's just not healthy. I mean- Point blank. It's not. no, no one should argue that fact. Yeah. That's what I think is people are getting misconstrued is that like the root of this is very wrong. Like where this came from is very wrong. There's a very, very, very small subset of a population that obesity occurs because of some metabolic dysfunction that they cannot control. Yeah. But 99.999% <laughs> Is because people can't control what they're putting in their bodies. Yeah. Because of the knowledge. It's not because that they just like, at least this is what I believe. It's because of the fact of misinformation out there. It is because of the fact that people don't actually understand between fats, proteins, and carbohydrates, how much of each do I need to run? The facts are that we also ingest way too many calories for what we actually need. We're not in a caloric deficit state. We have more calories than we've ever needed. People are constantly eating. Yeah. And I don't know, man. I I could go on a whole thing about this because like it's a passion point because I was there. I was someone that had all the opportunities in the world and all the knowledge out there. And I was still misinformed about everything. Yeah. And that's why I see as an opportunity, there's so much more out there then just like, and honestly, I think it's a lot of it starts with food because it's like, it's great to exercise and obviously all these things are good, but food is really how you get healthy. Yeah. And there is one more issue with that. It is the accessibility as well and food deserts and those types of things as well for other people. So it is clearly one part of that is like knowing what you should put in your body and then the accessibility as well. And those types of things that you look at underserved areas, like that's definitely an issue as well. So hundred percent, there's there's more hundred percent. And I think there's another aspect that most people don't talk about. And to me, it's very passionate is that like people are getting away from understanding how to feed themselves 40 years ago, 50 years ago, eating meals at home was a normal aspect. Yeah. The new normal is not to eat at home. And I feel that that's a completely misguided belief yeah. because 
you're missing the fact on community. We're missing the facts on those elements of family. And you're missing a core component of being a human being is to feed yourself <laughs> and understand how to do that, right? Like, yep. let's look at some basic things to be a human. Being able to walk, being able to go to sleep, being able to eat, being able to feed yourself in the terms of creating your own food. Yeah, Not creating, let's say like the garden I have out yeah. front. I'm saying like actually being able to make a meal and understand like this is what I'm nourishing for myself. Yeah, We've gone away from that. And I think it's very sad, you know, and I, I implore anyone, like if you guys end up following me on Instagram as a part of this, like all I talk about, you know, is those aspects and like, what am I making? Farmer's Market Friday. I use a ton of frozen veggies that I acquire. You know what I mean? Like I'm not using fresh stuff all the time. Yeah. I get frozen vegetables a lot because it's just more convenient, convenient. and it's easier for me to do. Exactly. And even in people in food deserts can acquire frozen vegetables. It's possible. Yep. Almost every place that has that, you're still able to acquire it. Maybe not a grocery aisle like Whole Foods, but you're still able to get it if there's a thing. And I think there's a problem with the shift in demand and creation and all these other elements. But yeah. these are these are big problems. Yeah. And and to kind of shift gears a little bit. So I know you have your coaches in different areas as well, but looking at business as well as your health and stuff and seeing a stack of books here. Is there any like books, podcasts, resources that are beneficial for you and I think other people would benefit from hearing more about them or well, I love Peter Atia, mm -hmm. um, Dr. Peter Atia's podcast, The Drive, just because like he dives into metabolic health at such a detailed level. So thank you so much, Peter, for what you've created. I think a book that every human should read is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Harari. It's kind of a book that's actually on my table right now. I just think that that just puts a lot of things in perspective of what's happening right now in the world and really for you to question a lot of the things that you know or you believe. For an entrepreneur, I like, I've always loved the book Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It just gives you a lot of perspective of like how to eat shit and keep going. <laughs> and a part of being an entrepreneur is unfortunately eating a lot of shit. Yep. You have to. I mean, it's just the reality. And there's so many different books and resources out there. Like you find something, you read it, you get through, you consume it, get something out of it, and then find something else. You'll figure it out. Right. As we're kind of wrapping up here, what is, any kind of last words for aspiring entrepreneurs or people trying to grow their businesses and then also people just trying to more optimize their health or take those first steps, any kind of parting words you'd have? Well, I think if you want to become an entrepreneur, make sure you've actually reflected on why you want to do it. There's a lot of fake entrepreneurship out <laughs> there right now. And there's a lot of people that are trying to start companies that are not supposed to be starting companies. They have no business building a business. And so I would really like the best advice is to figure out, is this really what you want to do? Step one. Yeah. Like step one, <laughs> like, is this like, is this like, is this the only thing that you want to do? Cause there's a lot of great number twos out there. There's a lot of great, like you might be a great number two. You just don't know it because the type of wiring you need to like be the one that takes all the shit is very different then one step removed from the person that has to take all the shit. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a very big thing that I like. And that's more perspective. By the way, I never give advice. I only give perspective <laughs> because I think advice is, is bullshit. But I think perspective is, comes from a place of truth. Yeah. And I want to share things that I believe are true. Um, your second question around health, wellness, metabolic stuff. Um, eat less, sleep more walk around, 
and don't do anything at least once a day. There you go. Simple. It works. <laughs> Where can people find you online, hear more about what all you're doing and everything? I'm really active on Instagram. So Instagram. Justin Rezvani on Instagram, same thing on Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm blogging a bit more and publishing on Medium. I've got some articles coming out shortly around this same topic. Um, but listen, I'm really active. So if you have any questions for me, just holler on my Instagram. I'd love to help you in any way I can. Awesome. And I will link up all this stuff, everyone, to jessicagrind.com slash podcast. We'll have the show notes there. And all the things we mentioned in this episode we link to. Justin, thank you so much for your time today, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. As always, the show notes are over at jessicagrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show over at patreon.com slash just go grind and please please leave a rating review over on itunes it does help more people find the show hope you enjoy this episode have a great day